Welcome to the first episode of The Cost of Health, the podcast about the true cost of healthcare in America, brought to you by the North Carolina Coalition for Fiscal Health. I'm your host and executive director of the coalition, Michael Kraskin. Over the course of this series, I'll be talking to real people across the state of North Carolina who are being forced to make difficult decisions due to the rising cost of health care. I will also be talking to policymakers and other experts about possible solutions. Thank you for joining me and the coalition in our journey as we fight to make health care more affordable for everyone. On the show this week, the Overman Farm has been an institution in Goldsboro, North Carolina for over 100 years, but its very existence is threatened by rising health care costs. I had the opportunity to sit down with Lorenda Overman in her kitchen to talk about the impact of exploding costs on her family's farm. Joining us was her small Yorkie, Parker, whom you may hear skittering around in the background. My name is Lorenda Overman, and I am married to a sixth-generation farmer, and we, we tend somewhere around 4,500 acres of row crops, which would be corn, wheat, and soybeans. And the um, other part of our agriculture farm is, is hogs. We have a sow farm that has 2,000 sows. So from that farm, we wean about eight to 900 pigs a week. And then we have what they call a finishing floor. After the hog, the baby pig leaves the sow farm, it goes to a nursery, and then it goes to a finishing floor. So at about 50 pounds, it moves into our finishing floor. At that farm, we have 7,600 pigs. Wow. And it takes about 18 weeks for a 50-pound pig to get to 300 pounds where they're market ready. Do they eat the corn and soybeans from your farm? They do. Not our soybeans. Our soybeans we grow for seed. Okay. But our corn, yes. We sell our corn to the mill that grinds the feed for the company that we are contracted with for our hogs, yes. When we first got married, my father-in-law made all of our feed because we were independent growers at that time. And, but now we grow for contract. And it's a little little neater, a little tidier, a little less risk involved with contract growing. What are the chances that I've eaten something from this farm? Pretty good. Yeah? Pretty good. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Smithfield Foods is who they sell to. Lately, recently, our pigs are going to Japan for the international trade. The meat has been bred to be pinker and have a little bit more marbling of fat. that The Japanese market likes a pinker moisture meat. We like a dry white meat. So you said you are married to a sixth generation farmer? I was a city girl. I grew up, well, Goldsboro, but I grew up, you know, five or six miles from here. But it was a big cultural difference when we got married 36 years ago, because the lines were very distinct between rural and urban. I felt like I was moving to the country. My mom thought I was moving to the boondocks. (laughs) But I met my farmer and fell in love with agriculture when I fell in love with him. So I've, I love our way of life now. Harold's family traces back to when they came over from Amsterdam, I think in the 1700s. And so when Harold grew up, he was trying, you know, walking fence lines and keeping water from freezing and keeping the hogs warm. And when the sow got ready to to birth, he had to move her inside so she could birth safely. So that's that's changed a lot in his lifetime. He remembers his first tractor. He remembers his granddaddy's very, very first tractor in the entire neighborhood. 
He remembers his granddaddy farming with mules and doing things the hard way. And you're on Overman Road here. I think mm. that's not a coincidence. No, that heritage. There you go again. A grandfather donated road, roadfront property to the DOT. Well, agriculture is North Carolina's largest industry. A lot of people think that it might be military with all of the military presence at the bases. But agriculture, hands down, beats the military almost two to one as far as money money brought in, and jobs provided. So when you, when you talk about how important is your farm, you also have to think about your community and the people that you employ and the families that depend on you. Not only that, the, the local hardware store where you do business, the local fertilizer, the local chemical company, it's, it all trickles down really quickly through our hands. When we, when we take a load of wheat to the mill and we sell it, that money is almost immediately turned around and, and put back in the community to pay our bills. So the community in this east of 95, the communities are extremely dependent on agriculture to keep going. So what are the biggest challenges you see facing farmers in North Carolina? Remaining solvent is the biggest challenge that we see. We are at a tremendously low all-time crisis as far as commodity prices. The margins between what it takes to grow the crop and what we receive for the crop are so slim that just a tiny deviation in yield from, you know, bushels per acre can make a big difference in whether you can pay your bank back. You know, you're not in business ever as a charity. You're not, your job is to earn money to support your family, to grow your business. And if you can't do that, then you can't remain solvent. We also have to make sure that the government doesn't overreach and try to add more burden to that, that process, make sure that the rules and regulations are, are livable, that we can live within the bounds of those. You, you talked about the, the prices of your products going down you're also seeing costs rise. Costs are rising. What are the big ones there? All right, healthcare costs have become extremely crippling in our in our community for for agriculture and for people that are independent business people. We have friends who are plumbers who are dealing with the same issues that we're dealing with. We have private contractors who are having the same issues. People that do not work for somebody else that could provide their insurance. We have been Blue Cross customers for 36 years. And when we, when we got married and we chose Blue Cross, it was because they had the best product, the best prices, the best service. We were very happy and pleased with Blue Cross as, as our health care provider. And we didn't even think about health care until about 2010, I guess, is when we first noticed, and I guess that's about the time that the Affordable Care Plan was, was passed. But we first heard people talking in 2010, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do about health care? And everybody started getting a little nervous about what they wanted to do. Being uh, self-employed adds a different dimension to looking at the marketplace for your health care. Because when you go to the marketplace to look for health care, you have to have... or less 
in order to qualify for a subsidy. If you have $64,001, you don't qualify for a subsidy. So when we, when we first started looking as a self-employed businessman, you have your salary, but you also have the profit loss that comes from the business. That puts you, most of the time, puts you over $64,001. It's super tricky. You want your business to be solvent. You want to put as much money as you can in your business. You want to make a profit. But as a health care customer, you don't want to show a profit. You want to show poverty. And that has been a tightrope that we have walked for the last uh, seven years, six, seven years. This past year, this past November, the letter from Blue Cross said that our premium would be $2,500 a month. So in five years, we went from $1,300 a month to $2,500 a month. Almost double. Almost double. Wow. Just shy of double. And that is with a $14,000 deductible. So when you do the math at $2,500 a month, you're looking at $30,000 just in premium. And then you add the $14,000 deductible, and that's $44,000. Just because our tax form said that we earned more than $64,001 which is phenomenal because we had, if we had just earned $64,000, our premiums would have been $500 a month. We would have gotten a $2,000 subsidy, $1. So you look at how that affects the person that's making $70,000 a month, I mean a year, and if they make $70,000 a year and they've paid $30,000 in premium, well, they're living in poverty, just to have health care. And that leaves no money for life insurance, house payments, car payments. It doesn't leave any money for family vacation, uh, to buy a new sofa or a new car, to you know repaint your house or put down new carpet or, heaven forbid, your air conditioner go out to the tune of $10,000. So it's, it is extremely hard to understand how the government expects the average independent, self-employed businessman to make it in this world. Our children are facing the same issues. It's not a, it's not a new problem. It's, it's when you go to town and you start talking to friends uh, in the community, that's one of the topics that comes up. That's the current event that's affecting everybody, and it's, it's hurting people. People cannot, cannot retire because of health care. We have not made an investment in our IRA in two years because the prices have just skyrocketed. There's just no way you can pay $30,000 a year for premiums and still afford to pay three dollars to $4,000 in your IRA. Just, it's just not enough money to go around. With this incredible increase in premiums, almost double, what are you doing? Have you found any way to handle it? The creative way that we have found is to is to sacrifice me in order to pay our health premiums. So what I'm saying here is that we have decided to sacrifice my salary in order to bring our bottom line down to under that magical $64,000 number. And when you sacrifice my salary and cross your fingers and you hope that you have enough deductions on your business side as far as expenses to outweigh the profit that you've made, then 
hopefully will fall in under that magical $64,000. That cuts our premiums from $2,500 a month to $550 a month. There's about a $2,000 subsidy there. And our plan is a much better health plan than we would have had at $2,500 a month. So we've decided to sacrifice my salary. I've worked here for 36 years, and I have earned my way up for a nice salary. And no one at this stage wants to get paid nothing to work. I'm not, I've not quit working. I'm just working for zero amount of money in order technically I'm actually working for $44,000 worth of health insurance. When you add our premium to our deductible, that's what I'm working for. But it's not in my back pocket and I can't use it to pay my light bills and my car payment. But I can use it, hopefully, to keep us in a situation where we have health care that's worth having. But I should not have to sacrifice my salary um, and our, our family's financial well-being just to have health care. I've been to Washington, D.C. For, for several years now, and I've talked with our senators and our congressmen about this issue. And discouragingly enough, when I went this fall to talk about agriculture and I brought up health care, I was told that, unfortunately, there was not a lot of hope on the horizon. And then just recently, when you listen to the State of the Union, health care was not even a topic during the State of the Union, and health care was a big topic during the election. And so I'm trying to understand why it's gotten so quiet. I'm trying to understand why we, we campaigned on health care but yet have not been able to produce a better plan yet. I know that the senators and the congressmen know what I need and where I'm coming from, and they know I'm not alone. They know I'm just one voice that's, that's representing many voices, but yet I feel like the voice in the wilderness that no one is hearing. We have three children, and they're all married, I love, love our way of life and raising grandchildren and before them, our children on the farm. I love being with the kids all day long. I love the fact that they know what daddy's doing, what mama's doing, and how it affects the big picture. They understand that when we grow a crop of corn, that we're feeding the world through that corn because that corn becomes animal feed, which becomes pork chops or fried chicken. When our daughter and now our son came to us and said that they wanted to work with us on the farm, our first question was, uh, are you sure? And (laughs) have you thought about health care? The really bare bones fact is that in our excitement that they want to follow in our footsteps and preserve the farm, which has been in existence for over 100 years, but in the same vein, you have to be cautious because of health care. You have to say, well, we want you to back. We really want you to work with us. We love the fact that, that when we retire, the farm doesn't die. But in a, in a city job, so to speak, where you work for a company, they, they take care of your health care. They tell you your options, and they're usually pretty good. So 
I love the fact that the kids want to work with us. I love the fact that they, they respect and honor the heritage of a hundred year farm, a century farm. But I also am, you know, fearful for them and what the future holds as far as as their prices and their cost. Lorenda described hers as just one of many voices in the wilderness. The coalition believes it is important to make sure these stories are heard. As our state and federal legislators work to fix our broken health care system, it is important that they remember that every regulation, every mandate, can have costs that chip away more and more at the bottom lines of family businesses like the Overman Farm. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcast app. If you have comments or story ideas, please contact me at michael at fiscalhealthnc.com or on Twitter at Michael C.K. Make sure to join the North Carolina Coalition for Fiscal Health on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at FiscalHealthNC.